Okay. Uh, hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the India Independent Films Podcast, where we talk about films on a range of subjects with the focus on a little bit on writing. Uh, I'm Pankas Sesdeva. I write on my blog, uh, Dichotomy of Irony, and also contribute articles for the IF website. I have again with me Rahul Desai, writer and critic for Film Companion. Uh, last time we had talked about uh, screenplays. Uh, today we'll also cover a range of different topics ranging from historical films to anthology films to also a little bit on uh, Amir Khan. Uh, okay, so Rahul, how have the last few we- few weeks been and what was your most memorable watch before we begin? Uh, yeah, the, I, I like this part of the podcast <laughs> because it really makes me uh, reflect on how every week almost sort of looks like the same for me nowadays. Uh, but yeah, the last few weeks have been busy as ever. I did take a small break in between. Uh, I went to Goa, but the, I'd say the most memorable uh, screening because of that would be watching uh, Samrat Prithviraj in Goa. Like out of because I mean I wasn't planning to do it, but then uh, me and a couple of fellow critics were you know sort of uh, together there, and we decided to drive like half an hour, forty minutes into, and there are only two cinema halls in the whole of Goa and we had to go to one of them and we went on a Friday morning in the middle of our vacation so to say and went to watch uh, Akshay Kumar doing a historical which is not really historical Uh, and it was interesting because I I like watching not watching I like reviewing films in different cities because uh, and I've managed to do quite a few in India so far over my like career of reviewing. Uh, Goa is a new addition to it and it was a very interesting experience because I wanted to see the audience reactions as compared to other cities and uh, I I wanted to see where they stand. Uh, I was pleasantly surprised to know there were uh, quite a few people giggling away in the theatre because of how ridiculous some of the film was. Uh, They they weren't getting carried away with any of the rhetoric uh, on screen. Uh, so yeah, it felt like uh, it felt like a fairly sensible audience of 15 to 20 people. Uh, and even though I sort of resent having to uh, review something when you're in a beach town, uh, I thought it was a very interesting experience. Mm. Uh, talking about historical films, so you know, uh, I'll start my question with that. What's been the thing that's been bothering you the most about these historical films for the last few years? I mean, it's quite obvious, right? Like, it's, uh, uh, and I, I think even Uday Bhatia recently did a very, very nice feature piece and meant uh, about where the histo- Hindi historical is skewing. Uh, and I keep recommending that piece for everyone to read to get a fair idea of why, what has gone wrong in the last five or six or 10 years for that matter, and why the historical is no more what a simply a historical. Uh, the obvious reason is you know, the, the the entire sort of uh, uh, the political agenda and the saffronism in most of the historicals because most of the filmmakers and the stars who now are doing the movies are skewing towards a, a very current political climate rather than sort of really, uh, rather than really being, uh, rather than really navigating the past or history. And, you know, it's a little of burnishing a bit of both. And, and it's become more and more blatant over the years. Like, obviously, when you watch Akshay Kumar film, you expect it. You know, you know he's a poster child of, uh, of say, uh, of the of the Hindu brigade. And and same with Ajay Devgan when he did Tanaji. Uh, same with uh, same with uh, even Bhansali to that matter. You know, Padmavat wasn't exactly uh, a very sort of secular uh, written film. It was. It had the same problems a lot of historicals did, but. It's just that Bansali scales it better than most. So we tend to overlook it most of the time. We tend to overlook his very problematic politics as well. So the politics of most of these films are very current and they are very blatantly manipulated to sort of, uh, to get the, uh, uh, to dominate, uh, to sort of really uh, manipulate the audience uh, in a particular direction. And that's been bothering me for a while. I don't know if I've only woken up to it since I've started reviewing because you learn to look at films past how they look and you learn to look at the politics you learn to analyze the messages uh, but i genuinely feel because in the 2000s and the 90s um, not that there were too many historicals but the ones that i did watch obviously i was too young to really notice these little uh, these undertones that have now become overtones i guess it also has something to do with our generation growing up from the 90s and realizing 
कि बॉस यू नो दिस इज एक्चुअली मोर ऑमिनस देन इट वाज लाइक इफ यू लुक एट बॉर्डर राइट नाउ इट वाज वेरी प्रॉब्लमेटिक लाइक इट्स नॉट अ हिस्टोरिकल सो वॉर फिल्म बट आई फील वॉर मूवीज एंड हिस्टोरिकल्स गो हैंड इन हैंड एस्पेशली इन बॉलीवुड सो या दैट्स बीन द मेन प्रॉब्लम द क्राफ्ट हैज मोस्टली टेकन अ बैक सीट इट्स जस्ट अ सॉर्ट ऑफ कन्वेयर बेल्ट ऑफ ऑफ वेरी टेम्पलेटी सीन्स दैट दैट इज पर्टिकुलरली केटर्ड टू दिस आइडियोलॉजी एंड Yeah, and that's a problem. Not everyone sees it because the masses really go in to be entertained. So you can't blame them for uh, really uh, not looking at a film this way. And it's our job to actually put that out. Yeah, no, that brings me to the next thing. You know, uh, talking about Bansali only. You know that there's that scene in Padmavat where Ranveer Singh or Khilji is eating that meat. Mm. Okay, and I think different people have written different about it. And you also mentioned in your Gangubai mm. review that you remember that scene. And then I was reading Rangan Bharadwaj Rangan's review. He wrote about that scene. You know that it was how the character like Kilji so wild that he's reading it, uh, like eating the raw the raw meat. And then there's this other guy who's eating, you know, vegetarian sort of uh, food. Would you? And then I read certain interpretations, and you know that. this scene is sort of you know sort of like has tones of islamophobia yeah. would you call this like where do you stand on this particular scene i, yeah, I mean i i would paint it as a stereotype because you know the entire sort of there's a entire sort of uh, mentality now that you know we need to like akshay kumar you know said recently that we only learnt about moguls and we mm-hmm. only like it's it's all about the mogul rule in india those 3 centuries and their dynasty and uh, and we need to reclaim it by telling more rajput stories more hindu stories and the thing is scenes like that moments like that come very subconsciously from that mentality itself right uh, because you're trying to basically take a particular chapter from a history book and trying to uh, revise it from your own perspective or from where you stand in 2022 uh, that's not to say that there were that that they that it is absolute uh, absolutely historically inaccurate but all these things see there is there is never been any proof of particular people being particular way like these little thing like characteristics in a character or uh, traits of uh, of a mogul emperor or what they do uh, in the in the palace behind closed walls these are things that filmmakers today come up with all the scriptures that were written then the lessons that were written then are all derivated from one to another and then none of them were factually accurate one was a poem another one and so many have now been based on poems like padmavat and now even uh, prithviraj so people take what they want to take and adapt it into what they want to and how they adapt it is a problem so uh, a scene like hilji eating the way he did in that uh, uh, in that scene is is problematic for me because it takes a very easy route out to characterize a villain in a film and a mogul villain uh, because he already has a coal eyes he already has all those Uh, traits that uh, a lot of a lot of masses very lazily uh, associate with not just emperors but with the particular community itself uh, so to have a scene like that of course it says a lot about his wildness and his uh, you know his uh, devil may care sort of attitude compared to the very righteous rajput ruler that but uh, I, i feel like it's also harm, harmful and lazy writing because i know it's great to watch and it's a great actor on screen also but uh, it, it says more about the filmmakers and the writers than it does about the film uh, because there are many ways in which uh, ranveer singh's character could have and he really bit into that character and you could see he was having fun with it but should you really have fun with mogul emperor characters or mogul uh, uh, or mogul rulers or or you know why are only one particular aspect of historical filmmaking uh, that template to have fun with why and if you dare to have fun with a rajput ruler or a maratha ruler then the karnisena will sort of really break mm-hmm. onto you and all the filmmakers have gone through it samrat prithviraj was called prithviraj before they came padmavat we heard what happened and it was padmavati before that so there's that fear that is driving a particular skewed uh, uh, sort of really angle and that is being shown more and more in how they present and how they other uh, a particular community and a particular sort of religion in these films and uh yeah we may not want to read into it as much because it's a bansali film but at the same time in retrospect it is our duty to sort of look at it and dissect it in a particular way because i don't think bansali has ever been uh, uh 
uh, you know a politically sound filmmaker and i i know he's never really uh, shied away from it either but it's just that he hides it better than most filmmakers because he's an actual craftsman unlike a lot of others like samrat prithviraj was like a wikipedia page and it was badly made also uh, you know and you can say that about a lot of historicals they have the scale but they don't have the language they don't have the method they don't have the sensibilities uh, bansali just learns to cover it a little more and i feel like that because of that it's a little more dangerous also at times it's like the historical version of uri uh, which is so well made that you tend to overlook the fact that it is completely uh, sort of really uh, you know saffronize the entire sort of it it is really weaponize the entire sort of saffron mentality in india and presented pakistan in yet another light like that so yeah that's right it. right uh, and then you know let's say there is like a film like maybe let's say a king ruler like aurangzeb you know mm. there has been some documented evidence that he was relatively like you know as compared to the other moguls some pretty more violent king mm. uh, so how would a film like that uh, if it is made today how would you you know mm. differentiate between like okay whether it's really happened or again it's the filmmakers like because parts of it yeah. did actually happen there is been documented yeah. evidence but will that be again perceived as uh islamophobic today yeah i mean see now that's the problem right like you go both ways because there's the danger of wokeness really mm. taking over the entire narrative right and and we can get pissed off at things as small as how a scene is designed uh without really bothering to check if it was if the person was actually like that or if the rule was actually like we don't know how these people were but we know that what their uh what their particular legacy meant and how uh, overall how violent they were or how not violent they were uh, and that's all we know the broad sort of really uh, narrative about it we don't know the uh, sort of how uh, what really happened on a day to day basis and we don't really know how those people went uh, from one night to another so again there i'd say that if you're if you're going to like like with uh, akbar or aurangzeb or you know or, when you're going to tell a particular story it depends on whether it's a biopic or it's through a perspective of a love story or through mm-hmm. a perspective because bansali tends to do the love story thing and you yeah. know sort of hide his uh, bury the more dominant strains of politics in it right and uh, because of that it works because if you're telling a story through a lens of romance or through a lens of war or some or something in between then you can you have the luxury of looking at that person only through that lens and not looking at him or her through uh, through a historical lens or through a factually accurate lens because then you are uh, and then it really depends on the tone of the filmmaker and then it and you can tell if you watch enough historicals you can tell if you, if if you uh, are making a film about aurangzeb you can tell if the filmmaker has a, a preconceived bias against the particular uh, against his or her subject and you can tell if uh, what the perspective is of the writing itself so it always helps to have a particular lens or dominant strain or genre uh, to tell a historical story with because i think some of the great historicals have been uh, told not as biopics mostly they have been told as personal stories they have been told mm-hmm. as uh, revi- revisionist romances they have been told as so many other things and that's one way of letting a current generation or letting a current population sort of uh, really access history you know none of them are claiming to be factually accurate not even the ones that are have islo- islamophobic uh, strains in it and uh, not even the ones that have liberal strains in it or that that are actually trying to humanize these invaders humanize these rulers so it's become too black and white right now because they were like no we need to show them in a very bad light or we need to show rajputs in a very good light um, there has to be somewhere in between and that only can happen if a filmmaker finds a peg a pivot to to really scale something as large as a historical one card it yeah and since it mentioned uh, uday's piece i think it's called uh, how bollywood is writing history and i think it won the ramnath goenka yeah. award yes. as well so it's available for whoever wants to read uh, on a quick search on livemint um okay you know my next thing is which you mentioned again do you have problems with or does do revisionist films bother you like this rrr or maybe you know tarantino's 
in historical films. So I read this critical review about one of Tarantino's uh, mm. films on revisionism, where the critic says that you know the Nazis have to be killed because of what we know about them, not because of a complex set of motivations driving the people on the screen. Mm. So, uh, do, do you have any take on revisionist history films, or even I, like uh, Takia, Jojo Rabbit films like Jojo Rabbit? Yeah, I actually don't have a problem with them because you know. first and foremost they are entertaining because they sort of cater to a very human uh, they cater to a very human desire of wanting to correct uh, the wrongs of history and correct mm. the uh, the evils in history or you know or going a certain so it's really having fun with storytelling i i don't think it's about uh, as much as tarantino may claim or you know jojo rabbit or any of these or rrr uh, as much as they may claim it's not really about being political or being uh uh or sort of batting a certain side or trying to uh, tell a story from a lens of 2022 i feel like it's just having it's also a lot of our enjoyment is derived from watching these films uh, really having fun with the craft of storytelling itself because you'd be lying if you don't go through days thinking okay what if this thing hadn't happened in 1945 or in 1955 what if the partition hadn't happened what if the british hadn't left uh, you know what if uh, and it's just that storytellers like tarantino and all just go uh, go a step forward and and sort of really uh, sort of really you know commit themselves to an alternate version of history and that's all i look at it as an alternate version of history i'm not saying that that doesn't mean what he's saying in that film is right or wrong or that he considered the jew uh, he considered the nazis to be evil or not it's just that um, it's always nice once in a while to see that particular uh, that effect that narrative that particular syndrome because not enough filmmakers do it and uh, uh, not enough storytellers uh, have the luxury to do it either so i personally i enjoy them because i always get a glimpse into what the filmmaker uh, where he comes from because they are being irrational and they are being honest about being irrational and that's fine because they want to uh, look at history in a certain way as it should have happened like once upon a time in hollywood also like mm-hmm. as it should have happened and these are these you you are talking about like serial killers and murderers and and particular things it can be about nazis but you know the tone doesn't change it's still an alternative uh sort of revision and uh, and that can be very fulfilling to watch as a viewer mm, right uh, and you know there is sanjay leela bhansali's devdas which is again based on a historical not historical it's like a story from the uh, bengal early uh, yeah. you know early 19th century uh, a lot of criticism that it gets is that it's not true to that ethos of what the sarath chandra wrote and bansali made it so over the top sort of a thing uh, again do you do you feel that as well devdas i mean devdas is such a conflicted thing right because like i think when or most of us watched it because we were young i really enjoyed it and it was yeah. one of my favorite films of that time and uh, i mean that, in my mind i was like that is how historical should be that's how tragedy should be told uh, the thing what it did was get me interested in the legacy of devdas i was like okay oh it's actually written where is it adapted from who was devdas i didn't even know it was bengali because bansali had no uh, yep. there, there was no strains of bengaliism in that film like and nobody really and i had no idea about like cultures beyond my own little homeland uh, so yeah i didn't know all that and now if you look back you're like okay if people now watch it as adults or people watch it in their uh, in in you know in their film viewing uh, years it may obviously seem slight and not correct compared to when you actually watched it and uh, i i actually think that uh, a, a film like devdas i i don't think it deserves the kind of scrutiny it gets because uh, again it was based on a novel and it right. the entire thing is that you adapt it the way you want you adapt it into the ethos into the uh, particular cultural sort of context you want for all you i mean he did, needn't even have based it in bengal right it's right. devdas is devdas over the years has become more of a feeling it's become more of a it's become more of a, a, a really a template and that can be uh, scripted in a, like look at what anurag kashyap did right yeah. like i i look at bansali's version as not very dissimilar from that 
like mm. if people didn't have problems with what anurag kashyap did i don't think they should have problems with what i i, I just thought where bansali sort of missed the trick is by still trying to say that okay it's it's based in bengal and it was these are bengali devdas mukherjee these are these characters and this is how it used to i don't think he ever claimed that this is how bengal used to look it yeah, was yeah. just based in two mansions and that's it like it's but i don't look at it too differently from modern day adaptations of these stories and when there are stories you have the freedom to do it this is not based on some uh, great fact that everyone has been really swearing about over the years so for me devda still holds up you know after all these years because it you just want to watch historicals like that on the big screen period dramas when you think about it you think about things like that like nobody complained about titanic right now people yeah. are complaining about titanic i mean those jack and those didn't actually exist but titanic actually happened but uh, and so that's the thing i just look at it with a pinch of salt and if you can uh, you know well and good like you're rich as a viewer and if you can't i i can still get the criticism it gets but i don't come from that uh, line of thought right right i agree this one especially you know like a lot of people said that oh he made uh, paro and chandramukhi dance together yeah. but i mean it's again as you said you know it's not a history it's a, a story at the end of the day and he's making he's just adapting somebody else's story but he wants to make those two women dance together so it's yeah. okay like i wouldn't hold a grudge unlike you know maybe some historical fact he's trying to uh, play around with okay now let's move to next section and this came from uh, Suchin uh, mm-hmm. you know who's uh, been listening to some of these podcasts and he's asked me to ask you you know that uh, it's very difficult to write about performances of actors and you know a lot of times at least what happens with me is like I try to use a lot of clutch words you know anchoring was like okay his performance is good it's mm-hmm. it's not good uh, uh, you know the same three four words that we say like oh he's out of the world blah 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 but do you have any tips you know how to write focus uh, better on you know performance aspect of the actors yeah i mean that's a great question and it can only come with someone who's in the line struggling with uh, the yeah. same things that we are and uh, i'm glad sujin asked that also and uh, given that he's our most loyal listener <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes. but uh, but yeah no uh, come to come into performances and you know we've been discussing this over the years yeah. even among writers here uh, i mean obviously the maximum writing i get done about performances is in the year end lists you know like obviously when you're writing actually about the 10 performances that you loved in the year or the 20 that's when you really get some writing done exclusively about performances but that is still not the same as writing about performances in a review and that's the trickiest part because most of see there's i'm none the wiser after 8 or 9 years of like writing like this i'm none the wiser about performances when i started out i i thought because i had limited space and all i thought a particular paragraph has to be dedicated separately to performances over the years i've realized there is no template there should not be a template like that of course there are reviews in which you just want to get done with the performances and dedicate one or two lines to them in a particular paragraph but the best kind of reviews and the best kind of films that you get to review are those where the perform where your uh, where you're writing about the character and you uh, automatically don't realize that you're also writing about the performance uh, and when you write about like there are times when i'm writing about a character and 70% of my review is about that character and then you realize why that character is so integral to the film and why the performance is so integral to uh, that character as well and as i said you know i always look at films as i look at human beings where you're trying to scrutinize them and you're trying to read read a human being you're not trying to read a film uh, now these are human beings within films itself and for me they are sometimes inextricable from the film and and i think the most uh, i think the best kind of writing i get to do sometimes or the most satisfying kind of writing is when when i'm writing a review and i start talking about a character uh, and i go back into writing about the film without realizing it i have not written anything about the performance but it is implied and mm. that's the thing it need not be uh, it need not be like explicit you do not need to as a rule of thumb write that this particular actor or actress is great as this particular character 
uh, unless the film is really forgettable and you just want to uh, lend a word to why the performances did not work in context of the film so i will only write about performances if it adds to the film or subtracts from the film just mm. like editing just like anything else for me the writing and the story and the film itself is first and if it allows me to write about other aspects of the craft as and when i say this it can be about these characters as well then i will really uh, then i will make it a point to sort of really get into the performances but again you know having said that there is no rule it has to be from right. film to film or series to series basis and it's particularly difficult when you're writing or reviewing shows you know because there are 9 or 10 episodes and there's no way you can't write about performances like because they are on screen for 10 hours and there is something that is there but the the trick is to sort of connect the performances to your writing about the film don't let it seem like it's separate don't mm-hmm. let it seem like you're doing the reader a favor right. by mentioning the performances just uh, and even me and uday said that you know in the couple of young critic sessions that we did that you need to uh, you need to have a reason for writing about something in your review you can't just write okay she was good he was good and just get done with it no that's not a lot of critics do that especially newspaper critics because of limited space but when you have the online space uh, you have to ask yourself why you're using that adjective and if there is a better way to say it why were they good in context of what uh, uh, was there a particular scene a scene is always helpful because it tells so much to a viewer so always you know sort of i always think about that when i'm writing about performances in a review yeah got it and then you know uh, we often also talk about um, that their performance never hits a false note you know this false <laughs> note so uh, how do you identify false notes again we somebody who's watched films can identify them but just your take on it how do you identify false notes i mean notes that's, when... that's really a clutch phrase right like yeah. that's a cricket yeah, comedy yeah, yeah. phrases that yeah, ravi yeah, shastri yeah. uses uh, i i've never i mean i'd like to think i'm not really used it too often and when i do use it uh, it be like in great praise of a particular performance of a particular uh, character um, but i don't think there is it's subjective right like a false yeah. note for you is very different for a false right. note from me like i realize sometimes that when i'm writing about a particular scene in a film or a series and i'm like this scene you know uh, there was a dissonance between uh, the background score and the performance it felt like the performance serious but the background score was flimsy and that same scene i'm seeing another critic write about saying you know that scene was very interesting because they were trying to do something different there like it felt like it worked in context of the character and kudos to the actor for that uh, and that's what i said it's subjective so for me that false note stays but of course i'll never try to use the term false note i'll just say yeah. that this was a problem uh, this this is where uh, this is where uh, you know the performance may have lacked a little or the film may have lacked a little it's mostly the writing that i find fault with and not so much the performance because see performances in the end it's direction and writing uh, mm-hmm. given a face right and it's up to the actors to sort of really interpret it in a certain way and that's the craft of acting and it's so difficult to write about because only the actors know what they are thinking and it's our job to interpret what they are thinking and how they interpreted it from uh, uh, from what the director is telling them or what the writer is telling them so uh, so yeah i don't think there are things like false notes or there are like yeah. peaks in a performance that depends on how you're watching a film and who you are while you're watching the film and uh, i i try to again i i'm saying i try to stay away mm-hmm. from these very these very dis- these very obvious descriptors because then you will start to work backward and you'll have to reverse your uh, you'll have to reverse your ideology or your uh, reading of a film and that's that's never good while you're writing a review right uh, so rahul you, you review short films you review otts uh, i mean shows uh, films have you reviewed theater any time i've never reviewed theater and i mean it's it's just out of shame because i've not watched enough Mm-hmm. um i i can count on my fingertips how many you know shows i how many plays i've been to over the years um and i've always been meaning to do it more just like i've been meaning to read more books you know it's it's like asking me have you reviewed a book no i haven't because mm-hmm. I because even if i do will not come from a space of any kind of information or any kind of uh historical perspective 
and i'm not that i'm saying that's very important but at the end you need to know where a book stands or where a play stands uh, in context of you know its medium and uh, no i never i've never done it but i first of all i'd li- i'd love to uh, you know if i ever do i'd love to write about it from a more personal perspective like about yeah. what a play means to me as compared to what a film means to me and how i admire uh, you know uh, performers in a play as compared to performers in a film because that is the purest form of acting right. there are no cuts there are no angles there's nothing it's just one and a half hours of pure performance of pure craft and uh, and that's where you know things like the visual medium don't take over it's just about how a performer or uh, uh, you know or a particular set can engage you in its most naked form and i always i have admired that about plays and it's intimidating uh, right. but yeah if i ever get into it i'll get into it right at the basement and start wondering about the relationship between plays and film what the differences are why plays are so uh, prestigious and why most actors most great actors still go back to doing plays and why they still practice their craft doing it how they started out like that but it's never a hierarchy it's never uh, that plays are like short films for feature films plays are a different medium on their own and a lot of actors still do it a lot of very very well known actors still do it in india as well and we that's how we know and love them and uh, particular actors uh, play uh, uh, his stage uh, his or her stage uh, reputation is very very different from the film reputation like the recent uh, the late shiv subramanyam who re- right. just passed away which we talked about last time uh he was he was very big on stage as is his wife uh, uh you know divya and uh, and i saw so many stage people come to pay their tributes more than film people because film people are what we've seen we've seen their films but uh, i would always like to be part of that ecosystem or at least go into deep dive into that ecosystem and it have to it take, it's an entirely different craft and i'd love to be involved in it uh, in it at some point of time because i don't think we have like exclusive stage critics in india very yeah. few there are a few i know and i've been reading them uh, but it's not like it's not a thing here yeah yeah absolutely yeah we don't have critics we have film journalists also <laughs> doing film critics very few film critics yeah, also like very you very specific exclusive yeah. okay now next coming to our next section are you tired of anthology films <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I, anthology fatigue is very real. Uh, I mean, I look like it only got bad during the pandemic because one yeah. after another, people realize it's easier to make logistically, commercially, whatever it is, and uh, it's five different crews, so you know, one fifth the time uh, to make it and all. I see. So all a lot of making during the pandemic was driven by you know feasibility. It wasn't driven by storytelling. It wasn't driven the desire to and by themes and. i don't like this themed anth- uh, thematic anthology sort of thing it's a very it's a kind of thing you learn in film school and you want to do you know and uh, and yes i am tired of anthologies but at the same time you know when i watch an anthology i don't i appreciate the kind of anthologies that aren't connected by themes and have five or six different filmmakers and are telling their own stories and maybe if the theme is there it's really vague and i will look at them as individual entities now i've reached a stage where i'm like i'm not looking at it as an entire film or series first of all i don't know the difference between an anthology film and an anthology series i will never know it and i don't want to i just want to look at each segment as their own like i i will still remember only the vishal badwad segment in the modern love anthology as a film of its own and even if you ask journalist or ask critics who have reviewed it they will mention the film uh, you know uh bombay dragon on its own like mumbai dragon and they will not uh, over a period of time i think they will forget that it was part of the modern love anthology the same way a lot of people might forget that this particular a uh, uh, one very good particular shot was part of an anthology so i i guess and i've always have that had the toughest time reviewing anthologies it's very difficult because it's basically six or seven reviews at the price of one like if you look at it in a very and i've always struggled to reduce some films to 3 lines and some films to 10 lines you know right. i always have to give 8 lines to all the films whether i like it or not when i don't like it i like i'll list down the things i don't like when i like it i want to write 1000 words on it but i can only write 8 lines on it because it'll get too long otherwise uh, then you have to do individual reviews that's why i try to use my columns to write about anth- like anthology films or segments on the side because some deserve more uh, some deserve more reading and more looks at than the other and uh, uh, and 
I've always, I've never cracked the reviewing an anthology thing. And I don't think I will. I always get intimidated when I see an anthology is coming up next week because it will take me like most of the week to review it, uh, if not to watch it. And uh, and yeah, I mean, I, I'm not opposed to anthologies. I just hope we keep getting like memorable because short films are now a commercial thing in India yeah. as compared to 10 years ago. And it's a good way to like show that short films can stand on their own, especially when, you know, famous filmmakers do it and you more often than not see that they're struggling within the medium because they aren't used to it but, but a lot of them do very good jobs and and that's what i'm really interested to see right right and mentioning about again a pre-plug of your piece on mumbai dragon it was very nice i think even vishal bhadwas tweeted it yeah. <laughs> i mean he uh, he said something on twitter to you you know like uh, he should have read this piece before making the film which is a high praise yeah. uh, okay uh, and then, you know, in this uh, anthology films, like, uh, was there any film that you could have felt been a full-fledged film on its own, like two or three hours? You answered some of it, but was there any other films that, you know, could have been a full film on yeah. its own? I mean, you know, the gold uh, short films are always those where you yeah. create your own picture. Like, uh, like, you feel like, okay, this could have only been a short film. But at the same time, you could be like, I can definitely see this as a feature film or as a series as well. And that's the thing. That's the conflict about watching a good short film. Like, you don't know whether you'd want it to be a feature and then dilute its short medium or dilute its compactness. Uh, and, and that's a craft of its own, right? Taking only 30 to 35 minutes or 20 minutes to tell what feature films cannot. And very few short films do that. Like, uh, but... Again, like when I think that, okay, I wish Mumbai Dragon was a feature film. Does that mean that I'm not satisfied with it being a short film that I wanted more? Or yeah. does that mean that it's really so good that it deserves to be a feature? But then by saying that, you are implying that a feature film or a feature medium, the, uh, long, uh, the long format is the pinnacle of all mediums. I don't think so. It's not. Uh, short films are beasts of their own. Uh, you know, and it, it's like asking, it's like asking a film critic or a, uh, when will you be a screenwriter, yeah. right? Like, and most of them get, uh, most of us get asked that. When will you write a book? Does that yeah. mean that what we are doing is uh, a step on the ladder? Because that that's the same thing that we think when we we like, okay, I wish this was a feature film. That's the same kind of mentality that comes out. So. I'm mostly satisfied with great short films being great short films because it leaves so much to your imagination as well. And you create backstories, you create interpretations, you are not fed it, uh, fed it on a spoon. And I appreciate that because Hindi films are notorious for feeding things on a spoon and like really expanding things that do not need to be said. The subtext is up to you. Uh, and I, I like that. Right, right. Uh... And this might be a slightly off-track question, but, you know, you took an interview for Neeraj Kewan uh, for the Geely Pucci uh, section. And, you know, it was from the eye of critics. And I really like those questions because, you know, they were not the usual PR specific. So uh, how did you prepare for it? Do you remember? Uh, yeah, I mean, from what I remember, I was very... I didn't want to do any yeah. kind of interview, but uh, okay. um, you know, I heard that Neeraj Gavan wanted only me to interview him uh, if you know if he was doing. He would prefer that if I interview him. Uh, I don't know why, but then we have known each other for a long time uh, before he was a filmmaker, before I was a film critic. So I guess some of that came into play. So I was I was happy to give it a shot because I had watched the short film. The tricky part is that I had reviewed. I was reviewing it as we as I was preparing for the interview. So a lot of my questions were derived from the review. You know, there were questions or there were statements I had in the review. There were lines I had in the review, which I formatted into questions because those were the things I wanted to know. And those came from a very reviewer's perspective, not from a film journalist perspective. And I think even while I was doing the interview on, on the video, uh, I, I think even Neeraj was a little uh, taken aback as to how much we slipped into like a 15 yeah. minute or 20 minute period. I thought I'll get only... Uh, you know, 800 or 1000 words worth of answers, but I got eventually 2700 words or 2500 words out of it. And, um, and I think he was, I think he also 
wasn't used to answering uh, so many questions in that stipulated period of time but i wanted to know more about the film that's what it came down to for me it wasn't an interview it was really talking to the filmmaker and asking him or her uh, that why this and do you think this and what do you go through as a filmmaker and for me it was just that i just tried not to look at it as an interview and uh, and it was nice that you know people sort of saw it just like that because obviously we know the difference between you know this pr driven or publicity driven interviews mm-hmm. i had the advantage of watching the film so you know that's it always needs to be like that the best interviews come out of that some of the best interviews i've read always makes it obvious that the uh, interviewer has watched the film has engaged with it has taken time and you know sort of really savored it uh, so yeah that was a good that was a interesting experience but i wouldn't want to repeat it time and time again because it does uh, conflict with my review right right no i could see what you mentioned you know like you asked the same question about where the character specifically mentions this cast like whether it's like you no know, teachable movement a uh, moment yeah. and then you mentioned the same in a review and it was also asked in the question and then exactly. he made a point you know right. like he did it as because people are not as uh, aware of this thing yeah. so that's why i was just curious about this thing mm. okay now next come to our next section on amir khan now yeah. the his film is coming you know there was this very somebody on twitter posted a piece of your review from uh, thugs of yeah. hindustan and it became viral yeah <laughs> uh, so uh, let people f- find about it but it was more about his comic timing and it was very very true so why don't you talk about how what do you think about his comic timing of late in recent I mean- films yeah in general it's not just his comic timing is about the way he acts right like as particular people we've noticed that he's made a career about playing particular kind of human beings you know uh, um, whether whether it be sort of aliens or intellectually challenged or 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 you know physically challenged um, and for a lot of us growing up in the 90s that was the peak of acting right because tom hanks did it and and a lot of these roles were uh where actors were playing uh sort of differently able characters most of the time uh, were considered the pinnacle of acting i don't believe in that line of thought but you know dustin hoffman we had a lot of proofs about it yeah. and it was and it's also very easy to get wrong so you know you can go over the top and uh, there's that term in tropic thunder called don't go f- full retard in acting like uh, robert downey junior's character does it and it's a very nice little play on uh, on how actors tend to look at differently able characters or different characters uh, human beings and i feel like amir khan does go uh, to use that term in in the context of uh, tropic thunder he does tend to go full retard with a lot of his characters and whether it be pk whether it be even things like thugs of hindustan where you know he's playing sort of a lovable scoundrel sort of pirate thing uh, or or whether he's uh, whether he's playing uh, you know the upcoming film which is again a remake of forest gum i've only seen the trailer i think most of us have and that paragraph that i wrote in thugs of hindustan was exactly pertaining to uh, why i don't why i'm never really uh, been a big fan of amir khan mm-hmm. and his perfectionist style of acting because i think he's he chooses films like nobody else's and he's uh, cracked a parallel blockbuster universe in bollywood that nobody else can and he is uh, he is he is a lover of finer things you can see in cinema and all of that and i don't know him personally but i can uh, imagine that you can have a very intelligent conversation with him about cinema and all but i also think that that borders on pretension in a lot of his acting performances lot of his films and as much as i've been a fan of a lot of his films including pk when i watched it uh, i have uh, i've seen chinks in his performance i've seen certain go to templates i've seen that there's a level of condescension condescension in his performances like it tends to come across as patronizing uh, it's almost like a teacher teaching students throughout you know like uh, and playing like and he actually plays a teacher in satare zameen par if you think about it his entry in that film could be known as a capsule of his entire acting career because he comes in dressed as a clown and dances yeah. and sings and and teaches and you know tries to be the teacher everyone loves that's what he does uh on a more spiritual level in all his films that's mm-hmm. if you want to describe an amir khan performance that's exactly what he does he comes in makes us you know sort of amused by his look and his his little tics 
and uh, and he tends to without really knowing it patronize or sort of condescend on uh, uh, the character itself uh, in his pursuit of like making it more accessible to us and that that tends to be a problem in especially in bad films like thugs of hindustan it was terrible and then that's when you realize that amir khan uh can really bomb badly like it it doesn't work in most him like doom 3 also the way he played the the twin brother yeah. that was i mean the, sure the film was campy and the film was like all kinds of like bad in its own way but uh, that's when you realize that amir khan is uh you know i don't think he looks as acting as a craft so much as uh as a medium of um, you know almost as a medium of teaching people what acting should look like and that that somehow comes across in some films i hope it won't in this film but from what what i've seen in the trailer uh, and of course you know forest gump has its own crit- critics you know and over the years even though it's a film i watched so many times uh, i still stand by tom hanks's performance and uh, it's oscar bait but it's also like very watchable uh, but to do it like 30 years later almost is is a bit self defeating i feel and even though i look forward to the film Uh, and it's the typical once in four years amir khan film so it will obviously do very well i'm no i have no doubt about that uh, but uh, i'm a little worried about you know how amir khan the performance will be right right and you know a lot of people say like post his dil chahta hai lagan says he's gone into this uh, you know perfectionist mode but actually i was just going through his filmography yesterday and i like more of his pre films more like you know pre dil chahta hai aur lagan ke sir is jo jeeta bhai sikandar dil hai ke manta nahi even andaaz apna apna his comic timing is very natural it's not yeah. like pk types and even rangila uh, like so many good films he has done sir farosh hame rahi pyar ke but post out of like 2001 this gajini and all i hardly remember anything maybe it's just rangde basanti or talash yeah. like which i really really like talash yeah. uh, but otherwise you you know doom 3 and this yeah it's yeah. not memorable as such i agree uh, and it's the same for shahrukh khan's career as well yeah. right it's the exact graph that you have described is the exact graph of both the khan's career mm-hmm. the both the actors and uh, we all prefer their pre 2000 roles because they were raw even andaz apna apna the first time we see him do comic timing is the first time yeah then he takes that and turns it into various other comic characters over the years which doesn't work for us the more older is growing uh, and that's a problem and and you're right about that like even mm. i would prefer the 90s amir khan uh, to what he became after dil chahta even though the films he did were very important were mm. entertaining but not a big fan of 3 idiots not a big fan of Rangde Basanti now uh, you know a lot of his films don't age very well after 2000 yeah right, right in fact that was my one question did you like three idiots <laughs> no, i was one of the very few people when yeah. i watched it itself i did not like it uh, over the years i watched it on tv parts of it couple of times sometimes i don't mind watching it as a like a harmless sort of almost like a uh, you know time pass so to say watch but uh, no it's not a film i've i've liked and it's not a film even though if i watch it again i'm not I'm, it's almost a guilty pleasure that i'll watch it now i i don't like that film uh, i never have and i the more the more older i grow uh, the less i like a film like that uh, even though it said all the kind of right things just the way it's the way it said it the way amir khan sort of played that character um i i, I don't know i think we've uh, we have sort of really exhausted that uh, campus uh, you know genre and that was uh, not the best of it right same yeah i don't like three idiots at I, all yeah. Yeah. <laughs> i remember it was i think it came in 2009 i still yeah. remember sagarika ghosh uh, you know she used to write this column bloody mary in hd and she wrote a critical review of three idiots and i just posted somewhere and people were like how can she not like it and she made very valid points that you know like otherwise she uh, i mean i don't read her columns very often but she wrote very compelling like you know what is it teaching to the kids uh, in a way like you know you leave your college and this and that but she made i and anyway i didn't like that film at all and yeah. it's a sort of pretentiousness you know sari yeah. umr bhar hum mar mar ke ji liye like it was too much <laughs> too much preaching and you know spoofing your own like spoofing 
Hindi cinema in a film or spoofing your own genre doesn't mean that you're being mm-hmm. cool about it. It yeah. means you have your own limitations as well. And that that film is a classic example of that also because this was the pre-OTT, pre-TVF, mm-hmm. pre-AIB era where we weren't used to seeing skits, right, on YouTube and all. And there were a lot of skits in three days. You know, there was mm-hmm. a lot of them. And now that's why all the more we find it grating now to watch because we've seen people do it better after that. And uh, even though Hirani may have been the first mover, uh, it hasn't aged well. Yeah, I think you know. For me, that when it when that TV show came in, you know that Satyamev Jayate, uh, oh, that point, it just became clear what you mentioned. You know that that slight condescension and slight preachiness. That show uh, was like I just realized. So I started to dislike his off-screen personality a little bit more. <laughs> That's a very good example of where the tide turned for a lot of us. Because yeah. I think subconsciously that show affected us like no other film of it did. Uh, and that off-screen persona you're talking about where he wipes his tears. Yeah, after exactly. We've seen that. And he's acting almost like he's acting on Satyamayev Jayate also. And he's trying to be... Uh, he's trying to be that person uh, who sort of really connects to the masses Mm. and connects to the problems. It felt like a performance and that Mm. performance like really spills over into all his films, especially the social message drama, which he does a lot of. Right. Right. What do you think of Fana? (laughs) Fana, I remember, you know, very funny. Uh, I I think it came out the same time as Da Vinci Code or around the same time. I'm not sure. 2006-7. Yes, yes. And I remember watching both films in one day. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, Fana was my second film of the day. And I was young, obviously. My parents, I had gone with my parents to watch Da Vinci Code. We quite enjoyed it. I, it was a rare book I had read. So I, I enjoyed the adaptation. Of course, it was Tom Hanks and Amir Khan on the same weekend. Uh, but then when I watched Fana, I remember messaging my father like uh, 15 or 20 minutes into the film saying, I'm really enjoying Amir Khan. You know, he's being that very, uh, you know, very sort of... Um, sort of very roguish character that we have we had come to love back then. Uh, but that film became unbearable. And this is the young me saying speaking mm-hmm. where I was watching films every Friday, watching films that nobody has heard about. I used to just make it a routine to watch with my friend. Uh, every Friday, whatever is playing. And I watched the worst of them. Like I watched bad Salman Khan films. But that Pana was so hyped before it came out because, you know, Kunal Kohli was on a high as a director. Mm-hmm. Amir Khan was on a high in general that decade. Um, Kajol, it was all, again just almost another return for her. And we had not seen Amir and Kajol for a long time together. Um, so it was such a coup that when it came out and I watched the film, I thought it was a joke after a while, especially the entire uh, second half where, you know, yeah. she's blind and he comes back as, you know, whatever is The politics were all wrong. It was very juvenile. Uh, the, I found like from a very, even as a kid watching it, I found like the craft was terrible. The story was terrible. Uh, I couldn't stand that film. And, you know, since then I haven't watched Fana, even a part of it again. There are a lot of bad films I've somehow caught a glimpse of again, uh, either on OTT or on TV. Uh, Fana is one film I have no courage to go back to. I did enjoy the initial parts of that film when they meet when in uh, you know in Delhi or wherever it was. But as soon as he is outed as this super spy uh, mm. or whatever he was, uh, and this is my memory of that. I'm recollecting based on my memory that I have not read anything about it. I'm not, uh, it, it just fell apart, and I'm not a big fan of that film. And that's where Kunal Kohli, the director, was exposed. Also, I wasn't a big fan of Hamtum either, but Fana was where it fell. Right. And how about Talash? Talash, I have um, Talash, I have mixed feelings about because mm-hmm. I watched it far later than most people did. I didn't watch it when it came out. I did not review it. Uh, I watched it just a couple of years ago. Um, mm-hmm. I thought it was a very sophisticated piece of storytelling. Uh, not a big fan of the ending. Uh, yeah. But, you know, I just thought that when you say atmospheric thrillers or supernatural atmospheric thrillers, I feel like that's a template that got lost uh, over the years. Because I don't know if Talash did well or not. Uh, I don't know, you know, how it sort of changed. It did not change the landscape enough, unfortunately. And you needed a name like Amir Khan to do a film like that. Uh, I thought it was very fundamentally solid. Uh, And it did not at any point feel like we were watching a particular genre. 
of filmmaking it felt really rooted in a very different way and it felt it didn't matter if you were watching a horror film or a supernatural film from the lens of a human film or vice versa a human film from a lens of a supernatural and i, I really liked it when i watched it just a couple of years ago which says a lot about how that film has aged as well like mm-hmm. uh, i i will never be in a position to judge it when it came out or watch it for the first time but i did uh, did quite enjoy it and did i wanted to write about it uh, when i watched it a couple of years ago i didn't get around to doing it but i am still uh, you know considering in the future mm-hmm. maybe it's a film people should look deeper into over the years if we want to reclaim that genre whatever it's called uh, you know from the clutches of sort of like very explicit genre storytelling uh, yeah i think that was one of amir khan's braver choices mm-hmm. and that's saying a lot in Uh, coming from you know like the kind of films he's done over the years it was one of his braver choices because that was a rare film where the um, we couldn't see a lot of amir khan in that film. you know the way he was uh, the way he was performing it was like sharukh and swades in a way or you mm-hmm. know sharukh and rabne in a way it just felt like he was just playing a particular you know a cop and it just felt like i didn't feel like i was watching amir khan for a long time that was a refreshing change for me right and you know absolutely like at the last is so much more a story like you know that uh, ghost is yeah. still you can it's come but it's much more a story of grief yeah. and it's very exactly. that portion is beautiful it's yeah. just beautiful it reminds me of manchester by sea at some exactly. point exactly. yeah look uh, that's okay. such a good uh, that's such a good comparison now come mm-hmm. to it yeah okay now my last question you know um, i'll talk about uh, KK passed away recently unfortunately yeah. what are your three favorite songs of him uh yeah it's uh, hard to choose but uh, hard to choose but i have my personal very like biased favorites uh laboko is one of my favorites uh alvida is i think my all time favorite not just kk's but one of my all time favorites in the last 20 years uh and um i feel like um I think Tadap Tadap would be up there also because I had no idea who sang it when it came out. Like I had yeah. no idea who KK was, and but over the years, the more I hear it on just simply on a technical level and what it did to the film was amazing. It wasn't my personal favorite for a long time, uh, but it's just impossible to ignore. And these are very popular choices. Like I've seen a lot of people yeah. love these songs, but these are the songs that I've grown up with, and and especially Alvida and the Life in a Metro soundtrack, and as well as Laboko. i remember those defined my college years and they were very important to me and like most people and uh, yeah i mean i have so many other songs of his like yeah. you know yaro was a school favorite and it it just and again i never knew who sang that song but yaro is still a song you listen to when i go back home also visit my childhood friends who are all now adults they still know the song yaro because they sing, still sing it without really realizing it you're humming it you know sometimes yeah. and kk was that kind <clears throat> of singer uh, without really realizing who's done it you're humming it without you don't want to find out the name and i love that in his interviews very rare interviews he said that i don't care if people don't know my face or who sung it that's the greatest recognition you can get as a singer if i if someone's talking about that song saying it's such a great song and and they don't know i've sung it if i'm standing in front of them that's my uh, victory as a mm-hmm. singer and that should be your victory as a writer also as any uh, as any artist who doesn't have to put their faces to their art that should be your victory where you go where you're in a party and you hear someone describe a particular column article or a particular song and they don't know it's you that is great right right and yeah uh, again people can read your piece on kk on uh, news 9 live uh, it's uh, on your or on your twitter account it should be there but do you okay. have any favorite songs i have you know kk i didn't realize I have so many of yeah, you know, my favorite. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, exactly. I would choose. Uh, I love Bol Hum Ek. Uh, like, kya mujhe pyar hai? The remix yeah. one. It's yeah. beautiful. Uh, and then I really like uh, that one um, from my brother Nikhil. Le chale. Right. Uh, it's chale. very beautiful. Oh, yeah. uh, and then more recently, like I like this uh, Or Tanha from Lavaj Girl. And yeah. then. Because yeah, there is this uh, all Imran Hashmi songs. I somehow associate KK and Imran Hashmi. Yeah, I like Bhitai Lamme a lot. Like it was from Train, a film that nobody has heard. I know. But what a song! 
<laughs> and even Sony, you know, yeah, so, yeah. so yeah. good. Like you just feel happy. It's just joy that he brings yeah. his voice. So yeah, like I'll definitely miss him. Like him and uh, like you know, even Kunal Ganja Wala, uh, yes, yes. like Imran Hashmi. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> associate Imran Hashmi with these two people. <laughs> yeah, that's true. This so good, but yeah. Okay. Uh, thanks everybody for listening and thank you Rahul as always for insightful conversation. We'll be back with another episode in a few weeks. Uh, have a nice time everybody.